So I'm going to dive straight into things this morning because who knows, I'll be honest, there's a high likelihood and potential I get wound up today. So um, for your sake, I'm just going to go straight into what we got to talk about, no bells and whistles today, just a little bit of recap. So we started off on Easter Sunday with this little short series that we're actually wrapping up today, three weeks, um, called The Treatment. And we've been talking about this treatment that comes with the sickness. We spent time discussing the sickness for weeks before that. And we talked about this brokenness that enters the world where we choose ourselves and we choose our way over God's way. And we say we'll define good and evil for ourselves and we take it upon ourselves to just make us the priority. And so it's this sickness, this evil, this brokenness that enters the world and enters our lives is here. But the good news is we celebrated that first week on Easter that God has provided a cure through his son, Jesus Christ. It's what we just remembered when we participated in communion. It's what we remember as we gather here in this place. Remember we said the reason we gather on Sunday mornings is not because it's the seventh day of the week. It's because the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And that's why we join in this place and celebrate. It radically changed everything. And is amazingly good news that no longer does our sin keep us from the presence of God. That Christ has offered a gift that covers our sins and now allows us to go before him in his presence. We just sang about it a minute ago. That veil was torn, right? There's no longer this separation. Now, the beautiful thing is the next week, last week, we talked about this picture that God, Jesus comes into this world and doesn't just die for our sins. He does so, so much more. I mean, not, don't, don't get me wrong. That's huge and important. But his life starts bringing this goodness back into the picture of this world. He starts this process of restoring goodness to the world we live in, a world that is corrupt and overflowing with evil, a world where we focus on ourselves constantly day in and day out. It's all about me, me, me. Jesus is bringing this counteractive, kind of opposite kind of mindset where, no, it's not all about me. It's about God's will, not mine be done. It's about helping others when they're hurting. It's not about always just building up a name for myself. It's about humbling myself. It's not about chasing after evil desires. It's about standing firm in God's word and, and casting off those evil desires. He does all of these things that start to put things back into order and start to restore some of the goodness. The problem is if we really stop for just a minute. We, we kind of stopped and got into it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We, we recognize the problem. Christ offered himself so that sin no longer has power for, over us. Christ's life starts to help us understand what it looks like for us to live in Christ and to see goodness restored in this world that, that again, that we might kind of find our way back to this garden state of being that God intended from the beginning because there's so many different pieces of the story in Jesus' ministry and what he's talking about. Remember that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Clearly, this is kind of part of God's desire and plan that things would start to get better. And yet, here we are. You guys watched the news or read the newspaper lately. It isn't that good, right? Like we look at the newspaper and we see, oh, wow, another, another church or another monastery or another other place of worship was bombed this week. Or maybe we read the paper and we say another school got shot up this week. Or maybe we read the paper and say, oh man, these people did this. And this horrible crime took place. And this violence happened. And this hateful speech is going on. We turn on any news network and depending on which one it is, they're talking bad about somebody. We're divisive. We, 
and point fingers at the other side and talk about how evil and how horrible they are. Everything just feels tense and ugh and broken still. And it just feels like we can't find any of this goodness that Christ is trying to restore. We still don't trust each other. We still try to build a name up for ourselves and, and elevate ourselves. We'll still tear everybody else down. And the problem is we look at everything and we start to say, man, that, this, this just doesn't feel that good. So we find our hope in Christ. And then we say, well, we're, we're trying. We, we've got the church. We're trying to meet. We're trying to gather. We're trying to do the right thing. It just doesn't seem to be making an impact and an effect. And, and so, therefore, we kind of settle into this place where we go, it's really, God, what are you waiting for? Like, when are you just going to come back and be done with this? Like, when are you just going to take us on and say, the rest of it is done? You know? We, we, we gather and we sing songs. We, we look forward to that day. We're excited about that day. We celebrate that concept and that idea of, I'll fly away, right? Someday I'll get out of here. We sang Amazing Grace. We look forward to that day, right? The problem is, is that, still something that just feels unsettled, unfinished, and broken in this moment. And we have kind of an option. We could sit back and say, God, when are you going to be done? Or we could wrestle with the question, God, what are you trying to do right now? How's that look? And how does that work? And what is it you're actually trying to accomplish now? And so I want us to take a look at another video here in a second. We're going to have a word of prayer and get into some scripture, and that's who knows where I'll go from there. Like I said, I'm just getting a little wound up, and i got way too many passages to around with. But I'll be good, I promise. I can see a clock, it'll all be all right. <clears throat> but in the midst of this, I think God wants us to better understand what he is still doing and what he still wants to accomplish. But before we get to his word, let's pray. Father, you know that I am still broken, that evil still takes a hold of my heart, and I still choose me far too often over you and far too often over other people. Father, this morning, this broken and sinful Kirsten could say a whole lot of stuff. But Father, it's my heart's desire that her church hear your message and that we not miss exactly what it is you're calling us to. And so, Father, I pray that you would remove me from the situation, that you would speak your truth into our hearts this morning, and that you would help make us holy people who are perfect as you are perfect, and that love as you have loved so that we might see this world and find you. We love you, it's in your name we ask for prayer. So, you guys have seen a few of them already, and I'll be honest, you might still see more in the future, because I just love the work that they're doing. The Bible Project is a non-for-profit, and they're putting out amazingly good resources. And again, sometimes it's just better to see that visual, and hear somebody else who's actually got like a degree in Hebrew and Greek talk about it versus me, who took like a semester of it. Um, and so uh, we're going to show one of these Bible Project videos that talks about holiness. And I think it's going to be a great springboard to help us wrestle with the rest of this conversation this morning. So if you could give your attention to the screen for just a few moments. Okay. So we look at this video, and it, I understand, covers a lot of ground and paints a lot of pictures. But here's the, the couple of key things I want to point out. Number one, we kind of mentioned this and talked about it last week. This this kind of, in the book of Revelation, this thing that they kind of end with is this picture that, in, in the end, there's this picture that the book paints that kind of says, 
this, there's this new and restored earth, this new place. Again, we've talked about God's desire for restoration, for everything to be brought back to this perfect and good state, full of life and full of what he declaims and or what he declares as good, right? The reality is the brokenness and messed up things, the death, the sin, the evil, the the things that infect the sickness, the death, the evil, the all of the things that plague us have existed, and in ways we had to be cautious because they kept us from being in God's presence. They were haphazard ways of entering into his presence, and then there's this kind of beauty that's painted in this picture of Jesus coming, and, and now all of a sudden this kind of picture starts to shift, right? We talked about with some of the prophets, this river that's coming out of the temple, there's this image of the coal, the holiness being transferred to the people. And it's a really interesting imagery. And it stays consistent with Jesus in his life. We talked about it last week. Jesus touches this woman who's been afflicted with this bleeding for 11 years of her life. And he says, somebody touched me. That, that, that phrase carries a whole lot of significance because it's not just the disciples going, Jesus, there's all kinds of people everywhere. Lots of people are touching you. He goes, no, I felt power come out of me. I felt that holiness, that purity, the the things that are working in her life, I felt it leave me. And it wasn't just someone touched me, someone who was impure, someone who was unclean, someone who wouldn't have been allowed in the temple in the state she was in, touched me. And my power went out to her. And Jesus goes around touching lepers and healing people he wasn't supposed to hang out with, people who were supposed to steer clear, people who weren't considered okay. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes, people who were considered impure, not holy not set apart, not different. By every definition and standard, they were as worldly as it got. I heard a message this week. I was watching some of the Orange Conference online, and they talked about Zacchaeus, man, the, the fact that Jesus calls out Zacchaeus' name, this tax collector that people knew, but they didn't like him because he was ripping people off left and right. He was a pain on this society. He was a hurt and a burden on this society, and he's just trying to be noticed. He's trying to be seen. He's up in this tree, and Jesus sees him and calls him by name and says, I'm going into your house. Can you imagine the kind of uprage that would have caused in that community? Jesus has this habit of going into places. And what's beautiful is we talked about it last week. It's because Jesus has a desire to fulfill what God's purposes and God's plans are, to continue to see restoration take place. If we were to look at Matthew chapter 28, and I, I got a lot of these in your bulletin. If you look, there's a lot of passages and a lot of them cover a whole chapter, which we may or may not do today. I just want to encourage you more than ever this week, spend some time in these passages that are written down in the bulletin, um, and just wrestle with some of the content of what these verses are saying and what they're challenging us with, um, because it's, it's important to wrestle with some of these things. At the end of Matthew 28, um, if I didn't say 28, that's what I meant, because who knows what I said. Matthew 28, the end of that chapter the end of the book of Matthew, really. Jesus is leaving. He's getting ready to ascend. He's giving his disciples these final words, these final statements. This is something we're all hopefully familiar with. If we're not, and I want you to become familiar with it because it's extremely important. If Jesus is leaving these as parting words to the men he invested in for so long with so much energy and so much effort, they're probably important. Now to the 11 disciples, or now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is in verse 16 the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority 
in heaven and on earth as we've given commands. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am going with you always to the end of the age. It's a passage that many of us may be familiar with, but I have to point out one of the most obvious faults that we can sometimes walk away with. We treat the Great Commission as if it were some call to go and make converts, go and baptize them. And we hear the go and baptize them in Houston part. But the first word that Jesus really lands on, and it's specifically written here in the book of Matthew as an address to the 11, go and make disciples. These men knew what discipleship was. They had just spent the last three years of their life walking day and night, 24-7, with Jesus himself. Constantly. They'd seen all kinds of things. They had watched all kinds of things. They had messed up alongside of him. They, he tried to send them out to do things on their own at times, and they came back saying, it's not working because you don't have enough faith. There were so many moments where this apprenticeship, this discipleship is taking place, where they're in the midst of ministry with Jesus for three whole years. And he's telling these men, who fully understand that concept, go and make disciples. Not just go and talk to somebody and hand them a little bit of information and hope they make the right decision, but go and interject yourself in the lives of other people in such a way as to bring them up in relationship with God so that they can walk like you walk. And you walk the way you walk because of the way I walk because you followed me. And if you followed me for all this time and I invested all this stuff in you, go and invest that same stuff into more people. This wasn't a call to just share the good news, get somebody dunked underwater, and walk away. It was a far more significant call to pour yourself into the lives of others so that they learn to walk and follow me the way you learn to walk and follow me. That's huge, right? This is an ex extremely significant moment where Jesus is saying this, and again, he is laying out this plan for something bigger. It's not just settle yourself down into a nice, safe environment, talk about me as much as possible, and hope people show up to hear it. That was not the message Jesus left his disciples to go and build the church with. He didn't say, go, build nice buildings, sit in them every week, and talk about me until I come back to fetch you. And yet, I hate to say this, and I'm not. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever conviction needs to take place. Versus, say, any one individual is guilty. But I would have to say with great conviction that as across the board, we as a culture are pretty confused on what that statement means. And far too often we take it to be the message where we gather up on a regular basis and talk enough about him. People will show up, maybe stumble across this message, hopefully get into one of these tanks, and everything will be okay. This is scary stuff to talk about for me. This is really scary stuff for me to talk about. Because we're talking about a treatment and we're talking about why the world is still such a mess. And we start looking at Jesus' words and we can go on and on and on and on and on and on. Because I've got a lot of tabs there. Jesus' word and Jesus' message is consistent. 
when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a, a passage many, many of us know. You see it held up at baseball games and all the time, places like that. We talk about John 3, 16 all the time. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy who came to him at night because he's a little afraid about what his friends are going to think if he gets caught talking to Jesus. And they're having this conversation about what are we really going to have to do? What is really involved in this? And Jesus gives that message that we talked about last week. You must be born again. That doesn't just mean dunked and raised back into new life in a baptistry. That means your life is transformed. That process we talked about last week where it is truly repentance, changing direction from this way and going this way. And that doesn't just mean moral purity like we talked about a minute ago. But it means purity that brings us back to the goodness God initially intended for our lives. The goodness where we seek him first, where he is our number one authority above all other things. We are more concerned with the well-being of others than we are ourselves. Jesus later talks about it. What's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is much the same. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus understands you can't love the Father well unless you love his children well. You can be as nice to me as you want, but you're a jerk to my kids, I'm not going to like you very much. You can be as pleasant to my face as you want to be, you can tell me I'm a wonderful person, you can do all these things, but if you're mean and abusive and talk derogatory about my kids, I'm not going to have a whole lot of use for you. And yet at the same time, I'm afraid sometimes of how we talk about other how we talk about his children because they don't match with the purity that we think we understand, the purity that we think God wants for them. And we sit and sometimes find it way too easy to talk about how broken and how messed up the world is, how sick it is. But we sit and talk about it. And we sit and discuss how sad it is and how depressing it is and how frustrating it is. But Jesus' word said if you really love me, if you really love God, if you really love the Father, second is much the same. Go and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Pour on them no matter who they are. The same kind of love I poured out for them, which he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, the broken, messed up, sinful, disgusting world. God so loved that world that he gave his one and only son sacrificially to save the world. 17 is also important. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to wait for its destruction while we just waited for a ticket out of here. He sent his son into the world to save it, not to condemn it. God's heart has always ever been for the restoration of his people and the salvation of his people. To bring us back to a garden-like state. But the problem is, we haven't taken this call as serious as we ought to, this idea, this understanding that Jesus tells us we are to be holy as he is holy, pure as he is pure, perfect as he is perfect. He's talking in the, in the Bible, in, in the gospel, in the scripture about loving your enemy, loving people who are difficult to love. And he says, be perfect as I am perfect, or be holy as I am holy. Those words kind of get a little muddy, but if you remember what they said, significantly unique, Right? completely and absolutely unique was this idea of holiness. Go and be as completely unique as possible, as completely unique as I am in the way that you love other people. 
in the way that you walk alongside of other people, discipling them. Not just talking to them about some good news, but really, truly living in their life in a way where you walk hand in hand, side by side. And we sometimes find that easy to do here in our circles. We walk hand in hand, side by side with people we're comfortable with. People we know have the same values and same views as us. People who look and sound and talk and act like us. That's easy. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy life. In fact, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, he says, the world's going to hate you. They're not going to like you. They hated me, and you're no better than me. The servant's no better than his master. So if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're going to ruffle feathers. People are not going to like the message. People are going to be upset and offended when you tell them they need to get out and talk more to other people and to other people. So I'm well aware of the fact that I may be making you mad right now. I'm not going to lie. I'm making myself a little frustrated here right now. It's scary to talk about this because you know better, right? Sometimes. Sometimes I have little moments of success and feel like, yay, I did it. And then other times I go, what am I doing with my life? It's really easy to settle into the routine where I show up and I was at church on Sunday and I talked to people and I was ministering to some folks who look like me and talk like me and sound like me. What did I do in town today? What did I do in a world that I know is broken and sick? What did I do to try to bring restoration and fulfill God's plan and purpose? Because God right here in the midst of this didn't just walk away and say, I'll be back later. Be good until I get back. He left 11 men to say, go and make disciples. Go and start the church. He told Peter, on you, the rock, I will build my church. Not places and buildings. You, a people, will be my people. You will be my voice. You will be my hands and feet. You will be the love that I am leaving here to fulfill the promises and to fulfill the purposes that I've set in place. Here's the reality of it. We are the ongoing treatment plan for this world. The church. But when we sit comfortably once a week and talk about it, hoping that people show up at our doorstep, we are woefully ignorant of what God's word actually says. Because it doesn't say sit comfortably, sing some psalms. In fact, it says in Malachi and other places, your psalms are detestable to me when you are not caring for my church. Jesus says, someday I'm going to come back. Many of you say, we prophesied your name, we, we taught great lessons, we talked about all these things, we did so many wonderful things. He's like, I don't know you. You didn't spend time in my holy presence. You didn't spend time being transformed by me. You don't look like me. I don't know you. You weren't my disciple. You didn't follow me. You just talked about me. But to come someday and say, why didn't you feed me when I was hungry? Why didn't you visit me when I was in jail? Why didn't you do these things for me? When did we ignore you? When did we not see you? When did we not do these things? I would have, I would have recognized the Lord. But you did to the least of them. You did for me. We go on and on and on with words of Jesus throughout Scripture, different passages, different verses, different things that Paul talks about. We go on and on and on and on. The reality of it is we were called to be the active treatment plan for the world. I sat with Easter director and talked about how messed up the world is. We sit around and talk about a day we can get our escape plan out of here. And talk about this world like it's some lost cause that we just can't do anything about. 
you do not live as though the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is active and mighty within you. Studying this week, reading <laughs> chapter three, Second Peter. I'm just gonna read this because um, just felt like Second Peter was a pretty good citation of what we've been talking about. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind for a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets and the command of the Lord and Savior through the Apostles, knowing that first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Again, remembering that sinful desires aren't just the, the easy moral things we talk about, but our sinful desires are selfish desires which come to us first and can be far simpler than what we sometimes make them to be. But in verse 4 it says, They will say, Where is the promise of this coming? For ever since the Father fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overtook the fact, or overlooked the fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world then existed, which was with water and perished. But by the same word of heavens and earth now exist partially. The same word, the heavens and earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. All should reach repentance. This idea of turning from one direction and heading another. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the work that are done on it will be destroyed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the, heaven, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. I read that this week. I was like, good. Talk about the flood. Talk about God's Wiping out of all things because there was nothing good left in the world. Evil had overcome everything. Evil was permeating everything because I regret making this and I'm just going to wipe it clean. How do you think he feels about the world today? The reality of it is, I still think he loves this world deeply. He loves each and every one of his children in this world deeply. And I think it greatly saddens him that his children, the ones who claim to be followers, do not exhibit the same love that he does for the followers. And the problem is we oftentimes see people's projects, well, if I just get this many saved, that's what I'm good about whenever Jesus calls me home, if I get this many in the baptistry, it'll all be good. If I could just maybe put into a couple 
maybe that'll be enough to get me in. But that's not the way he sees them. He sees them as just children to be discipled, to be loved, to be walked with. Not just talked at, not seen as a project to be marked off a list, but as people who are wholly loved by God. In a way that doesn't seem crazy to us and to put it in the context of ourselves. I feel so blessed to have been loved by God. Why would he love me? Well, if he would love me, then why wouldn't he love everybody else? If he didn't have the same radical love for everyone else that he had for me, why? why? It just doesn't make sense. And here he is saying, don't forget, we're not just waiting on this heavenly place to things someday down the road, but he wants this place. He wants this promise we are waiting for, for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness reigns. Now, prolonging is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Our first and foremost priority should be bringing holiness out from a place and into a world that is sick and dying. This imagery that's painted all throughout Scripture of holiness now being the thing that consumes, holiness being the thing, the thing that is transferred, this idea of perfect love and grace and forgiveness and life that's being poured out of Christ, perfect selflessness, which demonstrates love by surrendering life, that perfect image is what should be spreading outside of the walls, not what we have to come into the walls to find. So the question today is this. Do we view ourselves as the church in this building as a place where we come to hide from the impurities of the world? If we can stay away, like in the Old Testament days, from the sickness and death and impurity of the world, and keep ourselves holy enough, we might someday be able to stand in his presence. Or do we realize the truth of God's word and the truth of his gospel, that holiness has broken free from the temple, that we are now the temple, and his spirit and his life now lives in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive and working in us. We bear his holiness despite our imperfection. And we are the agent to carry said holiness, said love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, selfishness, out into a world that so desperately needs it. Because we're not afraid of getting dirty, because we know we are covered by the flesh of holiness. That is not of our own, but that is only of God. But are we truly filled with that spirit if we are not in love with the same message, the same purposes that he does? Not to leave this world a sick and broken mess, but to bring about the restoration of God that defines the good life that we have been given. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are his body. The body of Christ. To continue and fulfill his purposes and his message here and now, not singularly. So live with your mind on the future. Not about the future where we get to escape but in the future where we see all people, like Christ's desire is to see all people come to repentance and to know him. His desire is for all people to change direction and come to know him. Our desire should be for all people to change direction and know him. And if our desire, if our true passion, like we talked about a minute ago, is set on that, we will put anywhere our mouth is. Not literally our finances, but our actual time and energy and effort, and we will participate gospel of Jesus Christ. Not as bystanders who watch it all happen from the sidelines, but as active participants who are called by his purposes.
So watch this. I can do this. I guess. Hoppers. If uh, the worst team was come back up, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I know it's hard. I'm so nervous. It's a tough one. But I watched that video back in January, and that same message that I just shared with you, like, started hitting me. It started getting to me. And I knew we were supposed to talk about this and kind of rework other things we wanted to talk about. I knew we needed to address these things because it's way too easy to sit back and talk about how messed up the world is. And it is really, really hard to take first steps in loving people the way they're supposed to be loved. But if we truly want to call ourselves the body of Christ, we cannot assume that title unless we are working and doing what he has called us to do. And we have to be really careful following, coupling ourselves with Christ and following him. We are not willing to follow him in the love of a world that is lost, broken, needy, anything in North South Georgia when we are neutral? How are we expecting to be any kind of church that makes any kind of impact anywhere other than Sunday mornings if we are not willing to do what Christ has called us to do? Romans talks about this idea of don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be different. Be completely different. It talks later about love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I'm telling you, a lot of pastors and pastors are going to read them today. But the reality is, we have to be transformed. We have to make the effort. We have to be intentional. We have to say, I want to follow him. That's what baptism is all about in the first place. It's not about something that just washes away our sin. It's about saying, I want to die to myself and be resurrected in the new life in Christ because I want to be obedient in following him. And so if you want to talk about what it means to take that step and say, I don't want to just play games, I want to follow him, I'd love to talk. If you want to pray through something you feel is keeping you from taking those steps, we'd love to talk. Whatever it is your system is keeping you from going, let's talk. Because the other part of the body is we are a support system. We need all the parts working together to accomplish this task. Part of being all those parts together is helping encourage each other through the tough steps that are hard to take. So if you would stand and pray with me, we're going to pray. Whatever it is you need to do to respond to God to take those first steps, I want to encourage you to do it. Father, I, I love you. That's way too easy to say sometimes. It's way too easy to say sometimes because I know that the gifts you've given me are good. But Father, there's a whole lot of difference between saying with my mouth that I love you and saying with my life that I love you. And Father, I don't want to be guilty of just doing one and not the other. And sometimes, Father, playing this role sometimes people are like, oh yeah, he's a pastor. That's, that's good enough. He works with people all the time. But Father, there's a lost and dying world outside of this building who knows nothing about you. Father, I recognize the weight and the significance of what it is you've called us to do. And Father, titles don't matter and what little bits we accomplish every day shouldn't matter. The only thing that should matter is the idea of all people coming to repentance of one another. And if our true desire is to see this completely restored to your goodness and to see all heart come to repentance to know you, Father, we have a lot of work to do and we have a full service to make. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict us deeply and move us passionately towards you. 
love these precious few Jesus Christ episodes.